0: So that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to take these big global agency processes, simplify them to the point where they could be used by smaller companies, and help them utilize those to the benefit of their businesses. And so that's what I did. This is Digital Markdown.
1: Hey, it's Mark DeGrasse here, and I've got a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your site? Seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully retarget your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for digital marketer listeners. If you go through their easy 30-minute onboarding process and haven't 5X your investment within the first six months, they'll give you all of your money back. To take advantage of the offer, go to getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. That's getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. Welcome, everyone, to the Digital Marker Podcast. I'm Mark DeGrasse, the host of the podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest, Philip Van Dusen. He's actually the founder of Verhal Brand Design, a brand and marketing consultancy in New Jersey. But his real claim to fame is that he's actually worked with about 75% of the Fortune 500 companies that you see today. And before starting his agency, he was actually the VP of Global Design at Pepsi. So that's some cred right there. Welcome, Philip. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. No problem. I Actually, I, I found you on YouTube when you were doing, you know, your trends for 2022 in terms of design. And yeah, it, it's kind of surprising because I, I came from, you know, kind of graphic design and, and content creation before this. And you rarely see that with ad design <laughs> or really kind of a focus in general. It's, it's for small businesses, they kind of just get by and, and design is not a huge deal. But I figure, you know, having you on to kind of help me explain to people why design always matters
0: in every element of your digital marketing would be a good idea. Absolutely. And it does matter. I love doing those trends videos. It's I was telling you a little bit about my history in the fashion industry prior to working at Pepsi. And that's where I learned how to do trend because I traveled the world like looking for a graphic design trend. And so when I started my YouTube channel, I thought, oh, I'll do a." trend video so that's what i did and and they've gone viral a couple times and so that that's how a lot of people find me but it was just this interesting confluence between the trend hunting that i learned how to do in the fashion industry and then when i started my youtube channel like watching those two things come together it's kind of cool
1: oh and it's fantastic i'm sure it's driving a lot of the the trends that you see
0: today have you seen it you know kind of things that you've said propagate well and that's the interesting thing about trends trends The definition of a trend is something that has gained enough visibility and momentum to actually be recognized. It's not necessarily seeing into the future. You're not telling the future, so to speak. And that's one of the misconceptions that I hear a lot about trends because people watch my videos and they go, oh, I've seen this thing around for nine months or a year. And I'm like, yeah exactly that's the whole point <laughs> you know but i mean the idea is that not to and i always say this to people i say it's not about following or copying a trend but it's knowing that it exists because you can either choose to make it your own and be inspired by it and you know have it take you to a new place or you can consciously decide to react against it and do something very different. And you know this, I mean, in digital marketing, different is better than better, right? I mean, because you want to be recognized, you want to be seen and noticed and stop the thumb scroll. And so the best and easiest way to do that is to be remarkable, right? In one way or another, whether you're you know, taking a trend to a, to a new, different, exciting place or whether you're bucking them entirely.
1: Well, and that's that's an excellent point because I think people think like, okay, I'll get on trend and I'll look like everybody else, and then people will notice me
0: or take me seriously because I'm on trend.
1: <laughs> and so, versus like, well, there you, is you
0: know. a, there is an aspect for companies about being cognizant of what is contemporary, because if you are a company that needs to look contemporary, and there are companies that do, fashion companies, you know, interior design companies, they need to be aware of what is current right from color to materials to design layout to fonts etc and so paying attention that stuff is important as far as you know a best business practice
1: well and i think that you know just the trends themselves really reflect feelings throughout society or throughout individual agent or industries where people are saying like oh you know things were a little too professional for too long and so the trend now is oh well we'll just use user generated content that isn't produced at all like that's (laughs) one of the the trends i see or you know if it looks too uh, refined and messagey then it's obviously an ad so we can't use that so you should just go big blocky and obvious you know that's that's some of the trends that, that I see in terms
0: of the, the ads. Where it is and that is in. bucking the current, you know, the, the current thinking, right? It's how do you stop that thumb scroll? How do you make people go, oh, wow. I mean, that's all you have to generate is like an, oh, wow, to get people to s- stop for a second. And in digital marketing anyway, that's that's one of those key things. And then you have to deliver, right? You have to deliver with a great product or a service. But to your point, I think that... um that you know, b- being different is, as we said, sometimes being better than better because you it, you have to separate yourself within the competitive landscape. But knowing what the competitive landscape is and what they're doing is the only way to understand how to be different. Well, oh, that's an excellent point.
1: Because it's, you know, a lot of people that they either they usually go one of two ways. They either try to buck the trend immediately. Like, I'm going to be so different that everybody notices me or they are so the same that, you know, you can't tell the difference between the two. But it's uh, it's tough to walk that line. Like now I'm going to acknowledge that things are this way thing or people expect to see certain things. So I'm going to accommodate that. But then on the flip side, I'm going to, what do they call it in Hollywood? Subvert your expectations is, mm. is the phrase. <laughs> and so and like then they then Do the opposite. But I think there's a mix of the two. So in terms of that, because I, I love your, your experience with PepsiCo is just incredible to me, because to be able to have that kind of influence over such a huge brand is extremely impressive. How do you, you know, take that brand imagery and you kind of cover the whole brand exposure that people have because you know in terms of like what you're going to influence in terms of graphic design or or just visual elements you have your website you have tv spots you know it's pepsi so you have super bowl ads and you have billboards on tens of thousands of places like how does that all come together into one cohesive uh
0: you know system well i'll have to i'll have to qualify my role there first of all because i wasn't i was a vp of global snacks which is Overseeing design for the biggest food brand in the world, which is Lay's potato chips, Doritos, Cheetos, Fritos, Tostitos, all those good for you foods that I totally love. And so I was overseeing design globally for those. So I wasn't overseeing the Pepsi brand itself, the Pepsi website, the Super Bowl ads and stuff like that. And so, but in terms of, yes, it is, it was a big role and it was as a huge footprint in terms of where you show up. But being, being contemporary and, and paying attention to how you are going to market and what you're looking like as a brand is you know, critical when you're dealing with a brand that's a you know, $50 billion a year brand. You know. It's pretty amazing how, uh, because you have to think about a global footprint. You have to think about how you show up in 50 different countries. And that takes a lot of mental gymnastics. And it takes a lot of global teams. I mean, I wasn't doing that all on my own. I mean, they're design and marketing teams around the world. So let's break down just one of those.
1: So let's say Lay's potato chips, where you say, okay, it's, I mean, do you do campaigns? Is it like quarterly or how do you make the, the visual system
0: behind it? Or do they lay it out for you? Like, hey, here's what we're doing. And then you create the visuals. The campaigns are usually developed by the marketing. So I was responsible mostly for the packaging, brand identity, the visual kind of architecture. Of the brand, and then would interface with the marketing team to review creative for advertising. One of the things that, when you're working with a global brand like Lay's, which has here, I'll, I'll, it, there's a fun fact for you. All right, this is a quiz for you, Mark. What is the most popular flavor of Lay's potato chips in the world? I would say, just off the cuff, plain, plain potato chips. Prawn. Prawn. Yeah, I shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> shrimp flavored potato chips. Why? Asia Pack. That's why. China, right? And so when you look at an answer to a question like that in context, you have to realize that the globalization and the localization of a brand that's that massive basically makes it 50 different brands around the world because you are they are so different that communication the, the the brand perception, the brand expectations are so completely different from each other, depending on the country that you're in, the societal, you know, kind of cultural milieu that you find yourself in. It's, it's you know, it's incredibly complex. So how do you yeah, say, say prawn
1: chips where you have, because, you know, we run the, as marketers, you're working with companies that you might not necessarily know anything about the product. If they said sell these prawn chips, I'm guessing you have to, of course,
0: rely on the international team to... To help. yeah that that is like that's their deal that's the international team that's their job right Is to how, how do you best sell prawn chips in in Thailand and to be honest with you I did I didn't get involved in that okay. <laughs>
1: so do you so you said the general kind of brand message and yes okay yeah so is that annual or how's the the brand voice kind of go about because most small businesses I'm sure you're aware like go through this exercise maybe once a decade
0: you know, once every five years. They well, don't like... in, in terms of like the developing the brand identity and the brand strategy, the brand voice, the brand st- that is done, brand strategy is done gen- every, you know, three to five years, you relook at that. But in terms of the marketing, you know, marketing generally works in quarters, they plan in quarters. And so that's how they break it down in terms of. You know, finances and projections and things like that. But we were actually in the middle of doing a complete redesign of the Lay's, core Lay's potato chips brand while I was there. And that is something that you do not do very often, particularly in packaging. Packaging is one of those things that change can be very disruptive because people, when they're walking down the aisle of a grocery store, they, there are a lot of visual cues that you as a consumer just don't even realize that your brain is using from color blocking to, you know, how much, what is the predominant color of a package when it's on the shelf and how you navigate finding what it is that you want. How do you find the flavor that you want? how do you you know get to the point where you're standing in front of the aisle and you reach out and you pick up that thing i'll tell you an interesting story this is it, let's we'll move away from potato chips like for instance the laundry aisle right in a grocery store and this is this. I mean, I know we're a, we're in a digital marketing podcast, but this actually has is germane to digital marketing. I think because when you are in a category and you're looking at laundry detergent, and when you go down the laundry detergent aisle, there are basically two colors: orange and green. You have Gain and you have Tide. Dominate the whole aisle, right? And so when you go in and you're looking for tide, you go, okay, I'm going to the orange section. So for 20 feet away, you know, you're going orange. And then when you get to the orange section, then you have to make a choice of like 15 different scents and all sorts of stuff, right? So it gets down to, you know, flavor and scent and all, not flavor. You're not eating laundry detergent, <laughs> the pods, but that's you'd have to, about. yeah, pods. Oh well, yeah, is it pods? Is it liquids? Is it like, how are you doing it? And then But if you wanted to break into the laundry detergent aisle, how do you do that? How do you look different? How do you make a scene right, in laundry detergent? Well, there was this brand, and maybe people may know it now, but... Five, six, eight years ago, Method, the the laundry detergent, Method came into the laundry aisle, and they made clear packages in these really beautiful shapes. They colored their laundry detergent in these jewel-like tones of purple and orange and red, and it was gorgeous. And they literally had maybe like at the beginning two feet of shelf space in a 70 hundred foot aisle. Right. But because they were not a opaque orange or green jug and they were these gorgeous, like you'd, you'd expect to find it on a coffee table, like, or a, or a beautiful, like, uh, you know, a, a bar or something like that. It looked like beautiful liqueur packaging, you know, as you were walking down that aisle, you were like, Whoa, what the hell is this? Like, You were shocked. You're like, what is this stuff? And it was more out of curiosity and and standing out and being remarkable that Method was able to break into the most locked-down category of consumer packaged goods that existed at the time in a grocery store because they were shockingly different, both in form, in color, everything about it. And so when you think about being a brand in the digital world, on the internet on facebook on twitter whatever that is how are you and all we're doing it's just like the same thing we're zooming down the grocery the the laundry detergent aisle right you just want to get to the thing that your wife said you have to buy and you got to go pick it up and that's it and then you're on to like the next aisle you want to do your thing and get out it's the same thing in digital marketing you're just flipping through twitter flipping through facebook and you just want to like get your news or get you know your your meme fix or whatever that is and get out and so how do you stop that scroll how do you peop- how do you get people to go oh wow what the hell is this and just like method did in the laundry detergent aisle that's our job as digital marketers when it comes to design and when it comes to fonts, layout, copywriting, all that sort of stuff. How do you get people to go, oh, wow, that's different. And then they get curious and then they want to dive in and find out what you're about. But that is for us as marketers, sometimes job number one, how do you get people to stop? Right. And then, and then you have to deliver the thing. Then you got to deliver, you know, on your promise. You have to make a promise. You have to deliver on the promise. But that's where design falls into it. Design falls in in the ability to kind of make people stop and say, "What the hell is this?"
1: No, that's an excellent point. And I think that for us, uh, a digital marketer, we have the the customer value journey that we talked about a little bit before the call. And the the first stage of the process is what we call awareness. And so that's kind of that that one stage is awareness how do you get people to even know you exist and then the next one's engagement and then subscription and conversion and goes through the eight steps but you know i think it's and it's funny because you made that point like how do you get to people to stop it's like okay what happens design wise after you get people to stop like okay they know you exist maybe they've seen you a few times they know the brand don't really know what you do how does that same you know visual queuing continue or could continue for digital marketers after, you know, you get the awareness, you got their attention.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, the next big one, I, I, I talk in the three R's, which are being recognized, being remembered and being revered. And in order to be recognized, you have to show up consistently in the same way. So yeah, people can walk down the aisle and go, wow, what is this? And be shocked and say, I'm curious, who is this brand? And then they say, okay, it's X agency or this X product. But the next time they come across you, if you don't look exactly the same, or relatively the same, same colors, same photo style, same design elements, same fonts, they're not gonna recognize that you are the person that they just saw a couple days ago. So you have to show up very consistently and you have to do that over a long period of time because people have to build up. They say that you have to have as, you know, as many as seven interactions with a brand, touch points with a brand before you actually will take any action. And so job number two, after stopping people, is getting them to recognize that they've seen you before. So you do that also with visual cues, with color, with style, with font, all that sort of stuff. All these design elements that are going to be in your palette of things that you use so you have to show up visually in the same way and consistently over time because that's how you get recognized. Once you can break through those seven interactions and they actually click the button or they decide to go to your website and read about what it is that you do or what your e-commerce store, what it is that you offer, that's when you move to Word, meaning you're going to deliver the thing to them. And you're going to do it in a great way. You're going to make them very happy. And then they're going to put those two things together. This brand that looks like this, this experience that they just gave me. And that's when you become remembered. But you have to show up consistently like that and, and then deliver the thing really well for them to remember you. And then that builds to brand equity and brand love. And that's when you get into revered
1: that's amazing that's actually that's an excellent breakdown because i think it's it's easy to complicate the process a little bit too much and then that's when you see people who you know every campaign they do looks like a separate brand which is a huge mistake or you know working with small businesses i had multiple businesses where their solution to everything was branding like oh well the brands if we had a cooler logo then we would be successful online and it's like no (laughs) and actually i had examples of of my clients where I'm like, I tried to get them to change the brand and they wouldn't. And it was good because they're successful, they're known,
0: and changing the brand in any way would screw up that process. I'm going to throw a wrench into the works for you though, Mark. And you're totally right in that. You can actually build a brand off of inconsistency. And I'll give you a great example of that. The car insurance company, Geico, right? Geico has its core gecko, right? The Geico Gecko, who you see, and he's got the British accent. We all know who he is. But Geico has also successfully created brand awareness around confusion, meaning they have used the Geico caveman. They have used the Geico talking money stack with little googly eyes on top of it. They have used, you know, homeowner interviews with weird celebrities in your kitchen as as advertising vehicles. So sometimes when you come across a Geico ad, if it's something that's so bizarre and so weird that you go, this is probably Geico because this is just really bizarre. They have traded and built a brand on unexpected interactions. And so and that is To a certain extent, the wow factor or the stopping factor, like what is this talking money with a googly eyes on top or who is this caveman in the airport, right? And so, but they've been inconsistent consistently, if that makes any sense. And so there's an unexpected aspect and a fun aspect to Geico that you expect from that brand that they're going to give you a little bit of humor because they are talking about the most boring thing in the world, car insurance, right? So how do you become a cool ass car insurance company? You got to inject some wackiness into it. You got to inject some fun, right? And that's why people remember them.
1: I love that. Well, And especially the fun factor, because I think that's, that's usually where I came back to with clients as well, where it was like, okay, you know, if your personality requires something to be interesting to do the work itself, then Let's go ahead and do that. Or if, you know, the brand design isn't on point with you personally, the owner of the company, then you should change it. Because if you're not proud to hand your business card to people or send people to your website because you're embarrassed of your branding, that's counterintu- you know that's counterproductive. And no matter how good it is, as it is, it just doesn't matter because you don't like it. And so I think there are were, there were a bunch of those aspects that are not scientific and, you know, but are still very valid. You know, I always... To, entrepreneurs are the ones I usually worked with. And it was new brands, so I was like, "Okay, yes, your you know wife might like this logo,
0: but you hate it, <laughs> and so her opinion doesn't matter." And well, I would take an, another step, Mark, and that is that I work with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs and small to medium sized businesses that are you know not stock held companies; they're owner operated companies or small boards of directors. And the one thing that I have to struggle with them a lot is the personal preference idea, is that it's not about what they like. It's about what their customer is expecting, or their customer likes, or what the language of their category of industry is. Those are the things that need to drive design decisions. Because here's an example I've used before, which is, say you sell horseback riding experiences. Okay, you may sell a English dressage horseback riding experience where you're wearing jodhpurs and a, you know, a nice velvet black helmet. Right. Mm -hmm. And a, a tie and a vest. Right. Or you may sell Western cowboy experiences. They're both horseback riding experiences, but the expectation of the user of those experiences is absolutely different. One is culturally refined and upper crusty and polo, you know, kind of outings. And the other is chewing tobacco and and, you know, chuck wagons and beef jerky. Right. And so those two companies, although in the exact same category, horseback riding experiences, They speak to very, very different customers and the design expectations and the story expectations and the experience expectations of those two customers are completely different from each other. And so you have to design the brand and make it attractive to the the end customer who is the one who's going to be stopping scrolling and deciding whether to, you know, come horseback riding with you or with this other company. And one of the struggles that a lot of agencies have with their clients is that their client says, oh, I don't like blue, or I don't like that font, or I don't like this pattern or this photo style. And you have to say, it's really not about what you like. It's about what your customer would respond to. And it's about how you are differentiating yourself within your category and your competitive landscape that's what you really have to pay attention to and what you should really be making your decisions based on. And that is a very, very difficult conversation to have. And it's a very, very difficult thing for business owners to extract themselves from because they want to like it. They want to feel like they chose it. It's their aesthetic, et cetera, when that's really not what's the most important. And, you know, a lot of times I, I'm not going to say I always win that conversation because you don't, <laughs> but you have to educate your clients to the extent that it's really not about your own personal preference. You don't have to like it. Oh, love that. It has to work for your customer. And once your business is successful, you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> it growing you know, on you. <laughs> you're going to like your brand a lot better, right? When the money's rolling in.
1: No, that that's a fantastic point. And and for us, at digital market, we have the customer avatar framework is what we call it and it's a process of learning, okay, how can we clearly define your customer? How do we find out what they like? How do we find the emotions that are going to trigger them to do, you know, what they need to do to to become a customer? And that's the first stage of our, our process. You know, I think what happened before was I had an agency and I didn't have these things. <laughs> and so I would have workarounds where it's like, okay, well, I'll just accommodate the owner. You know, that's, that's one way. Another way is to niche into an area where people don't care what stuff looks like. So for me, I ended up serving a lot of healthcare type companies because doctors are busy and they're like, yeah, I don't care. Like, make it look good. That's fine. Okay, go. <laughs> So, but, you know, doing a, a kind of, you know, analytical approach to the process, like, hey, we're not doing this for you. We want, you, you know, your opinion matters, but we're not going to make massive brand decisions that are going to guide the company based on your personal preferences, because you might not be the customer. But they are, they are the customer sometimes, but a lot of times, no. And their perspective is totally different
0: than, than a customer. Yeah. And your expectations or your your trust triggers are very important when it comes to picking something in healthcare. Your trust triggers are very important when it comes to picking a lawyer or a financial services company that you're going to put your entire self, you know, your retirement fund into. Those sorts of things are are call signifiers as a brand to make sure that you're adding a level of comfort to your customer avatar that's going to make them feel comfortable using you. There are brands where being boring is a really good thing. There there and there are ones where being boring is for instance car insurance. If you're too boring in the car insurance industry, there you're never going to stand out and you're never going to break through. You want people to have a level of trust that yeah, you're going to pay for the wreck that you have or either you know replace your car if you total it. But beyond that you really have to spend most of your time kind of standing out because there are dozens of boring car insurance companies. And so understanding your your industry, but also your competitive landscape is the, that the combination of those two things is where the riches lie is because you have to understand your industry and the language and the vocabulary and the motivating factors of your customer and your industry. But then you also have to critically understand how your competition is doing things. Because you are going to be it's like the blue ocean strategy, right? You're going to position yourself in a white space or in a place where it's easier for you to be recognized. And and that has to be very intentional. That has to be codified into your brand strategy and into your business strategy that that is that you are intentionally doing those things.
1: I love that. You know, between the the brand voice and the, you know, customer focus and the creativity and everything that that goes into the strategies that you teach is, is fantastic and deliver for your customers. Hey,
2: Ryan Dice here. and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com.
1: I actually did want to get into a little bit of kind of how you got into what you do right now with your agency. Because I, I know you came from you know a, a long successful career serving major brands, and then you transitioned to what you're doing now. How, how did that come about, and and why did you decide to to get into digital marketing?
0: Yeah, I I decided to after a 25 plus year career in big agency, big corporate, I decided to go off on my own and start my own consultancy, and. I, dis- I knew that I wanted to work with s- entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses where I could have a, a fast impact and a marked and a you know decidedly significant impact on their business in a shorter period of time. Like when you work with big companies, they're like the Titanic, right? It takes like five miles for them to turn. And there's 50 million people involved. What I really wanted to do was work at a more independent level with smaller companies that I could really impact very heavily and quickly. And one of the ways that I knew that I could do that is because in the corporate big agency world, we use brand strategy methodologies that are expensive and they are very thoughtful and very smart. And that's why companies like p and Ford and Ford you and know, Coca-Cola use them is because they work. But I knew all of those processes and had used them with those companies. But what I saw was a lot of small and medium-sized businesses and, and entrepreneurial startups, they weren't putting into action or using the kind of strategic acumen and processes that these big companies could pay $250,000, $500,000 for. So I was like, what if I take some of these processes and, and kind of simplify them? to the extent that I can communicate them to and develop them for smaller businesses so it can really move their business forward in a significant way without them having to go to an agency and you know, pay a quarter of a million dollars because they can't afford that anyway. So that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to take these big global agency processes, simplify them to the point where they could be used by smaller companies and help them utilize those to the benefit of their businesses. And so that's what I did. And I started doing digital marketing because I knew that I was completely I wasn't I wasn't changing what I was doing so much but I was changing who I was doing it for. So my entire 20 year collection of of network and business connections were in these gigantic corporations and I knew that none of them were going to be helpful to me in getting clients for my agency. I was going to have to get my own clients with people that I didn't know yet. And so I kind of I was walking into the world of digital entrepreneurship after, you know, running big teams and being corporations for a long time. And I had no idea how to do it. Like, I'll be really honest. Like I didn't know an email list from an email sequence from social media marketing. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything. And so I had to get up to speed really, really quickly. And one of the things that I realized was that I, I hate doing business development. So I'm not a cold caller. I'm very uncomfortable reaching out to people. And I was like, "Huh. I hear about this thing content marketing that if you put out a lot of amazing valuable content, then your clients will come to you, right? You'll build a level of credibility and you will attract business to yourself." And I was like, "That's my jam. That's what I'm going to do." So I started a newsletter, started building an email list, and then very quickly on the heels of that I started a YouTube channel. I just thought I'm going to share everything I know about branding, design, creative entrepreneurship, marketing strategy for free on YouTube, 25 plus years of accumulated knowledge. I'm going to put it out there and anyone who wants to benefit from it, small, medium-sized businesses, creative entrepreneurs, agencies, whoever, they can suck it all up, right? So that's what I did. And so I started putting out a video a week. I've now done it for six years. And over that period of time, I've, you know, I've got like 300 plus videos, probably 50 plus live streams and stuff like that. And within six months, 80% of my clients were coming from YouTube and they were seeing And what happens is they do a search brand strategy, you know, digital marketing brand positioning, competitive audits, whatever. My video comes up, they watch it, they go, huh, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. And they watch a couple more of my videos. And then they go, wow, he really knows what he talk- he's talking about. And I kind of like his vibe, right? He sounds intelligent. I'm going to give him a call or I'm going to email him. And so they email me and they say, hey, just watch like four YouTube videos. You seem like you know what you're talking about. I have this brand project for my company X. Let's go on zoom and talk about it. So I get on zoom and we are face to face. They already feel like they know me because they've watched 15 minutes of my videos. They already have a trust level in me because they know that I know what I'm talking about. I've already walked past the first, you know, hour and a half of get to know you call and credentials pitch call and establishing my credibility piece of a call and there and then we're just talking about the project and the price and i was like this rocks like this is the way to go about marketing as an agency doing content marketing share what you know for free put it out there be credible show up with reliable goods and services when it comes time to actually talk turkey and so that's what i've been doing for six years now Oh, I love that. Well,
1: I love that it was just six months of you kind of putting the
0: effort in to, you know, start reaping some of the rewards. It takes longer than that. Content mar- and you know this, Mark, no, content marketing a- is not for class. the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes, and that's where most companies fall down is because they don't have the fortitude to talk to an empty room for a year. And that's, if you can, when you're starting content marketing, if you can Say to yourself, I'm going to put out this content consistently with real value and not look at my subscribership and and talk to an empty room with no comments for a year, then you're going to be on your way. But if you can't, and after five or six videos, you go, no one's commenting on my videos. No one's subscribing to my channel. I'm not doing the videos anymore. That's where most individuals and companies just lose heart. So when I counsel people in content marketing, I say, hey, this is what you're signing up for. But if you do it and you stick with it, it can have amazing benefits, amazing benefits.
1: That, that's, that's such good advice. And I, that's usually where I lost people because I was always pushing content marketing because my, my goal with my agency was trying to fix the Internet pretty grandiose but
0: <laughs> my, my I love that. Process. That's, a, that's a mission statement Mark. I like that. Let's fix the internet.
1: Well I was thinking like you know the majority of the content that you see online that you actually find is written by marketers right? It's they know how to write they know how to optimize and that's what the internet is. And so my thought was like okay if I can go to small business owners get the, the people who actually do the work to create the content we'll just optimize it for them but they'll be the driver like they know the information. they're doctors they're opticians they're all all these professions and so that totally failed <laughs> it, came it down did it. really yeah, well, oh, because 5%. they didn't have
0: that they didn't have the energy for it yeah
1: the 5% of the time i could get the the business owner to actually become a content creator but the rest 95% of the time it was like here's the stuff I set up for you and then it just stayed like that. Like I have literal photo shoots that I did for some of the companies from five years ago and they still just have the shots on a loop and it still works. Like they're very noticeable because it's almost like unintentional, you know, really consistent branding (laughs) because they never changed anything. And I'm like, I took that photo so long ago. Could we just do another photo shoot? And yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's tough. But oh my god, that's funny. I I love that that objective because it's and that's kind of what I was trying to do. Your way is much better, where you're actually introducing these 25 years of experience and showing small business owners kind of like, okay, here's how it really looks, how the pros do it, and that. And I think people really respond to that because it's like, okay, yeah, Pepsi, because that's usually what brands do you like. You know, that's one of my qualifying questions for finding out their design theme, and they'd always go. People who had no opinion or shouldn't have said, should have said nothing, always said Apple. They'd even say Amazon, which Amazon branding is just atrocious and their website is just terrible. But, you know, they just go with the big ones. Apple, well, now Tesla, that Tesla would probably be in there somewhere. And it should be. I I love Tesla. (laughs) But I think that's fantastic. And and the fact that you're able to help a lot of people kind of ascend that design ladder is, is fantastic.
0: I think the biggest thing about content marketing, like, and I alluded to this, is that the value of it is that when people, when they come to you, they already trust you. And that is the, that is such a huge hurdle and, and such a huge chore when you're, when you're working with prospects is you have to establish your credibility. And if that is already done and they've already signed off on the fact that you, they like you as a person and how you communicate so much of that work that is repetitive work in the agency business is gone and done for you and for me anyway that's that's like that's the real reason or the real reason I keep doing it is because it's establishing and making easier that prospecting piece of the puzzle that by the time people come to me they already know they want to work with me i jump over that entire piece of the process, which when you've been in the agency business long as I have, not having to do that is awesome. <laughs> you know, One thing I want to throw in there, Mark, for you though, is that, and for your listeners, is that the other thing that you hear a lot when you're sharing real valuable content is that people say, you're sharing all the secrets. Why would you share those secrets? Because then people will just go off and do it for themselves. And I thought that at the beginning, and then I thought because I'm I'm sharing like the real secrets. Like if anyone goes back and watch my first fifty videos, it's basically a pr- it's a primer course on like how to do brand strategy, and but the thing is is that when people watch the video, they're like, this is really smart, but it's also really complicated. Like I don't want to do this for myself. I want to hire this guy to do it for me. <laughs> And that's exactly what happens. I actually launched a brand strategy course. It's called Brand Strategy 101. It's a foundational brand strategy course. And if you go to philipvandusen.com slash BS101, you can find all, all out about it. But in the first cohort of students I had come through this course, this guy came through. And after about two, I delivered it live over eight weeks. And after about the first two weeks, this guy dropped out and I emailed him. I said, Hey, just curious, you know, what's your feedback on the course? Curious as to why you dropped out. And he goes, well, I run an entertainment company in LA and I, I've been wanting to rebrand my company and I knew that I had to redo my strategy. So I thought, I'll just take Phillip's course and I'll redo my brand strategy for my company. And I was like, wow, cool. And he goes, but by week two, I realized I don't want to do this myself. I want to hire Philip to do it for me. (laughs) So I was actually going to reach out to you in like a week and say, hey, you want to come do brand strategy for my entertainment company? And that is a classic example. It was like someone with all good intention wanted to appreciate the value of this, wanted to learn it themselves. But then they realized it's probably a little above my head, or I could really use someone with a little higher level experience than I have to do this for my company. And that can go for... Any industry, any industry. And so it's, it's helpful to share the value that you know, because that is what builds your reputation.
1: God, I love that. Well, and, and just that, you know, people gain just a little bit more knowledge on the subject that they'll find like, okay, this is not doable. And you know the people. Well, who... they realize the value of
0: it. That's the thing. They go, "Oh, wow! Now I know why people are saying I should be doing strategy because this is what's going to tell me. This is how it's going to move my business forward. This is going to be the ROI of this investment. And that education is worth its weight in gold because it's going to make their business stronger. But it's putting more value in the work that you're going to do for them. Because that's the other thing as agency people that we have to do a lot. We have to communicate the ROI of marketing. We have to communicate the ROI of design. And sometimes, unless you have really hard metrics of ad campaign results or you know website visits or clicks or whatever that is, sales, it's hard to communicate the ROI of strategy. It's hard to communicate the ROI of design. And that's why... Um, also, you know, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because when you start to get that fuller picture of all the things that, that design and strategy affect, you start to really understand the value of it.
1: No, well, and, and you, the way you communicate that makes so much sense. And I think a lot of people, you know, will then be prepared to pay you <laughs> is really the, the best part of it because they understand the value. It's worth this much. It's... You know, yeah, you could do it. The, the, usually the argument, because I'll, I'll do some of the stuff live or I used to, where I would live, create the logo, or I'd live, basically build the website in front of people. And that's... Wow. And it, it's, it's impressive when you see it. But the problem is that it, if you make it look too easy, then they'll say like, oh, well, why am I paying so much for this thing? <laughs> and are like, well, you're not paying for the 15
0: minutes. Paying. We you're, you're paying, paying for, for the 15 years of experience it took me to be able to do this in five minutes
1: but i think that's just the way you, you describe it and, and the value of the content cuz I, I think it's it is hard to get those rois for spending so much time on content creation but if you do it consistently the the impact is actually you know so much more, more far reaching than something that you could roi
0: on you know 50% in 2 weeks you know
1: that's you need that too but
0: yeah i mean the other thing i'll say about it and this is something that not a lot of people talk about is its life cycle that's the thing that's blown me away more than anything else is the life cycle of the content that I put out. I'm still getting thousands of views a week on videos that I produced four years ago. And it's, it's mind blowing to me. I have people who email me and say, Hey, I just watched this video on nine design elements. And it, you know, is it's making me rethink the branding for my business. Now I'm like, wow, cool. I put that video out four and a half years ago and it's still bringing me business. You can't say that about a banner ad. You can't say that about, you know, a Twitter ad, paid Twitter ad campaign or a LinkedIn ad campaign or a Facebook ad campaign. Like when the money stops coming into Facebook, your ad stops running. You know what I mean? And if you have a video up on YouTube, that sucker is paying off year after year after year. And you can't buy that kind of advertising. No, and that's, and it's, uh, it's a mature approach to
1: branding, I think, you know, where it's saying, I always told people that the, you know, your website and everything that you do online is you, you know, it, there's not, people can't see anything else. So it doesn't matter that you have the best, you know, team or the best building to serve people or whatever it is, because all they see is this. And some people only look at Facebook and some people only read Twitter and some people mm-hmm. only go to your website. And so you have to accommodate all of it, which is all, you know, a big job. That's why you hire professionals.
0: Well, hey, Mark, I'll ask you a question. We'll put the shoe on the other foot. How how do you feel about the, you know, being everywhere all the time? Because when people are starting off trying to be on too many channels at once, you end up being there in a very thin way across a ton of channels and you don't actually get much bang for your buck. How do you approach that? Well, usually just just like you do, you start with the customer avatar and
1: you decide and prioritize your platforms. So if, you know, depending on your business and the people you're serving, they may never go on LinkedIn. So you don't need to focus on LinkedIn or they may never go on Instagram. You know, if you're health or fitness or food, yeah, Instagram, Pinterest, great. If you're a financial advisor for specific types of oil companies, not so much you know, I have seen people do it, but LinkedIn is the place for you. So usually assess, you know, where you actually belong. You could shotgun approach it. And then in that case, I usually say rely on your content strategy where you say, okay, we're going to produce a certain amount of pillar pieces is what we call them. Just these kind of chunky, you know, audio visual or written content, and then you splinter it. So you take the, the 3000 word article, break it up into 50 tweets or, you know, so many, say, stats that you mentioned in there, you could turn those into stat graphics, share them on LinkedIn, share them on, you know, Facebook and all the other platforms. So I think, yeah, starting with your customer avatar, finding out where they are, focusing your time and effort on that, and then falling back, like with us, we're a digital marketer, we have to be everywhere. We splinter content. And luckily, we have 3,000 articles (laughs) from being in business for 12 years. So we have tons of content, all we got to do is repurpose it so
0: yeah and that's something i think that a lot of companies don't understand the power of either which is that you know if you choose a format of content like a podcast or, or a video your content repurposing capabilities are are really broad and it can and content can be repurposed in so many ways. I mean, you take a video. I have blog posts written from my transcripts and my videos. I develop podcasts that are audio rips from my videos. I do audiograms, which are for Instagram, which are snippets from my podcast or my or snippets from my YouTube channel. I take, you know, I do quotes, I do quote graphics. I do, I mean, it's just like the repurposing possibilities coming out of either written audio for podcast or video, which is the best, are endless. And so it's not just one piece of content that you're producing. If you get a team behind you who are specialists in repurposing, you can get incredibly broad exposure on a single piece of content. And that's also another place where I think a lot of companies don't really understand the power of a piece of content is how broad it can go. And they don't have to do it. There are all sorts of VAs and services that will repurpose core pieces of, as you say, pillar content and give it wings to go a million other places and and show up in a lot of different ways. So you don't think about it in just terms of this is my blog post for the week. It's like, this is my blog post for the week, but it's going to turn into 50 tweets. It's going to go on LinkedIn. It's going to be an audiogram. It's going to be a bunch of quote graphics. It's going to be an infographic with a bunch of graphs behind it. And so you start thinking about content in a very, very different way. Like what kind of legs does it have? And where can that, where can that take you?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's really just that, just like you said, the, the start, like do it once a week build up for six months to a year and then there you go. You're you're kind of set. And that's you know, and and to your point, like the repurposing, like we'll actually once you have so much content, then you can analyze and say, okay, this article was killer. Great. That's a good subject for a podcast. Or let's go ahead and take make a script out of it and shoot a video. And that's kind of, you know, it becomes much easier after you do it more often because you have the content there. And if you get lazy or uncreative or Whatever, you just go back, <laughs> look what worked before and put it out again, change the name of the headline for the same article on a different platform, and it's a new article yeah absolutely well, I think that's, this has been fantastic. you know excellent tips. I think anybody who's you know built up that experience in the corporate world but wants to you know go out on their own, uh, I think you're an excellent example for how to do that the right way, and you know I, I love your focus on content because that's that's where I came from so <laughs>
0: thanks Mark I appreciate you having me on the show this is fun
1: awesome well you did mention your link to your course the the branding strategy, Brand strategy 101. 101 yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll include that link but is there anywhere else people should go to
0: to find out about you well if you want to look at all the videos I've been talking about for the last hour just go to Philip look up Philip van Dusen on YouTube and I'll pop right up or if you go to philip my website you can find my podcast, anything, my courses, my mastermind community, anything that I do is there.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Very valuable content and love your style and your YouTube videos. So keep those going because I'm staying tuned. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you all for tuning next time for more digital marketing content.
0: This is digital marketing.